You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Take your Bibles and you can turn to Acts chapter 1. And I would encourage you strongly, uh, just even uh, one of our ushers is just going to come up to the front here. If you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible to follow along, you can just raise your hand and he will just pass you uh, one of these Bibles. And, um, and if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you. You just feel free to take that Bible home with you. And we would love to be able to, to give that to you. And um, we're just going to have the house lights turned up here as well so you can see a little bit better as uh, we open the Word because we value and encourage you to bring your Bibles, to use your Bibles, to follow along, and to be writing down. Even, as I mentioned before, some notes. I'm going to be giving some other verses. You may want to look those up. And, um, and so just strongly encourage you to do that. Also, our messages are online on our website and, um, and also on iTunes. And so encourage you to, to um, listen to it again, not because I want you to listen to me, but because I encourage you to listen to the Word of God and to allow it to, to speak to you. And, and sometimes we cover some things fairly quickly and some verses, um, some extra verses, and you may want to listen to those and to study them again on your own. Well, this morning we're continuing on in a series in the book of Acts. The church begins and and just see it as such a fitting series for our church as we get things going here in Kelowna and just trusting God to to do it again, what he did in the book of Acts. We are um, trusting and we are praying, Lord, do it again. And on opening Sunday, we talked about that, that prayer and that desire that day by day people would be getting saved. And it was just so encouraging to hear of one of our, our, our children um, that is a part of Harvest Kids, um, Dwayne and Jill. They're, they're part of our, our, our church family here. One of their little kids, after a crazy, frustrating, um, crazy day that they had, I believe it was on Friday, and, uh, and at the end of the day as they got talking to their little girl, she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And it kind of topped off a day to, to really put things in perspective, didn't it, about what really counts. Amen. It's happening. And, um, and so we're going to be continuing in, in chapter 1 here in, in a couple of moments. I want to talk about waiting. Waiting is something we don't really like to, to do very much. And, and oftentimes we're not very good at it. But you think about it, how much time is spent waiting Waiting for something, waiting for someone, and, uh, you know, whether it's traffic lights or in the doctor's office or we're waiting to get back the, the results from the doctor, or grocery stores, I mean, people wait for the new iPhone and, I mean, will line up in, uh, days in advance at times just to make sure that they can be one of the first ones to get that new iPhone, um, I mean, grocery store lineups and, and, and different things. Even yesterday, I decided to take my kids out for a fancy meal at lunchtime. Charlotte went off, um, did some shopping, and joined a friend for a little bit. And so I took the kids out to a fancy meal to Costco. And, uh, you know, the, the home of the, the cheap burger or, or the cheap uh, hot dog and, and long lineups. And I was amazed at how we circled around looking, waiting for a parking spot. And then we get into Costco and the crazy lineup there. And, and Nate counted at least 40 people in line to get the cheap hot dogs and it was just you know but we we wait because we figure it's worth it or because we're cheap you know and we we got into there and just figured might as well you know what just wait it out 
people wait for Christmas. I mean, there's probably some of you here today that it's just like, I love Christmas. I can't wait for Christmas. Just encourage you this past week, I was driving down Gordon. I already saw in someone's house, a Christmas tree all up and decorated. So Christmas is coming for you freaks who really like Christmas and and just can't wait. Maybe, sorry, maybe it was one of you. um, Don't mean to offend you in that way. But I mean, these kind of things happen. You know what um, happened, and we, we have to wait for them, and sometimes we're not all that excited about it. Sometimes we wait to hear about that job, or about the deal going through, or we wait for that relationship to be restored, or for it to get to a healthier place. We're waiting for a family member, perhaps, to come to know Jesus Christ. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Something that that, that happens and something we often don't like very much. And, and the disciples of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 where we looked last week in the first 11 verses, they were given the instructions to wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Go back and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And so they went there. They weren't given a time frame. They didn't know if it was going to be, you know, a few hours that they would have to go back to Jerusalem or wait. If it was going to be a few days or weeks. They had no clue. And so here we have the disciples They head back to Jerusalem, and they're waiting. So what did they do while they were waiting as they received these instructions? And and, and we're going to look today at at Acts chapter 1, verses um, 12 to 26. And what we're going to see today is what the disciples were doing while they waited. And the first thing that they did is they gathered. They stayed together. In verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, where, uh, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, which is about one kilometer. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they had been staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Elphias and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James, not the other Judas, Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. So here we have a list of the now 11 disciples. And so they head back, they go to the upper room, but they weren't alone. There were some others with them. You you jump down to verse 14. It says, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So the disciples are with some others. And, And first of all, the other women were probably more than likely, they were the ones who were a witness to the crucifixion. And so here they are with, um, with the disciples, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, this is significant when you think about it. Jesus had four brothers. We, we see their names in, in Mark chapter 6. And we see, however, in Mark chapter 6, when we get a, a mention of, of their brothers. And it's not, of course, his full-blooded brothers. It's, they're his half-brothers. These are the children that Mar- the natural children that Mary and Joseph had together, as well as he also had some sisters. But here we have mentioned that the brothers are also with, with the disciples, the brothers of Jesus. And this is incredibly significant because you think about it in Mark chapter 6, earlier on in Jesus' life, in his ministry, they didn't really like Jesus very much. And they didn't accept that he was the Messiah. In fact, when he came to his own town, he was not only rejected by the townspeople, but by his own family. But now, because of the resurrection, they saw that everything that Jesus, what he had said, who he was... It all made sense, especially the witness, the the eyewitness that they were a part of in seeing him rise from the dead. 
let's face it, it wouldn't have been all that easy um, living with Jesus as an older brother. I mean, how many of you have an older sibling? And, and, and oftentimes it can seem like the older one can never do anything wrong. And that was true in, in Jesus' household. I mean, that was very true. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, he would have aced every exam. And, um, you know, you, you're walking along with Jesus. And, and, uh, and, and one of his brothers is walking with him and says, Hey, Jesus, I, I think that girl really likes me. He's like, No, he doesn't. No, she doesn't. Like, how do you know? Oh, just believe me. I know. Yeah, she doesn't. She, she's not interested in you. You know. And and I mean, it would have been incredibly frustrating living with with Jesus in that way. But they rejected him. But now they were on board. I mean, they were there. They 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 went back. They heard these instructions. Head back to Jerusalem. They're like, we're in. We want to be part of this. And so we see that that these individuals that gathered together, but they just didn't gather just as kind of, you know, this nice little group of people. It also says they gathered in verse 14, it says in one accord, meaning that they were in unity together. They gathered together in unity. Now I come from a large family. There's six kids in my family. And last Thanksgiving, or I mean, last Thanksgiving, last weekend was Thanksgiving. And we can actually put up a picture of, of this family that continues to grow and grow because six kids and, and then marriage happens and then kids happen. And then marriage happens to those kids or is starting to happen to those kids. And, and so I think this was 28 or so of us that were together in Alberta last weekend. And, and, uh, having a great time together. And there's actually five of my family members who, who weren't here um, on, on this weekend. And so here you have this family. And you know what? With six kids and with a mom and dad, and, and as life happens, um, sometimes it can be kind of messy over the years. And, and you don't always get along very well. And, and yet, as I think this is the 13th year that our family has been together on Thanksgiving weekend. And sometimes not everyone is always able to make it. But over the years, it seems that, especially in the last few years, God has been doing something very special and unique in each family. And even as the, the staff, we rent a, a camp facility there every year, and they just seem to enjoy having our family there, and we enjoy being there. And, um, and, and some of the staff comments, and they say, this is unusual. This is unusual as there's some worship time and prayer time in the evenings. And for the family to want to be together. And, and my parents look back and say, it's nothing that we've done. It honestly isn't. But over the last number of years, it seems, and my parents have taken the lead in this. But in the lives of the children, God has been doing a deeper work. And for each of us as families, and sometimes it's been through hardships and trials that it causes us to get our eyes on Jesus and to let go of the the petty and the silly things of life. Are we a perfect family? Far from it. We have our warts and our wrinkles. But God is bringing unity, and he can bring unity into the family when our focus, when our attention is on Jesus. And so here for the disciples, here for this group of people, and and we even see that it's even larger than just the ones I've just mentioned. We'll go on to that in a few moments. But there is unity when Jesus is at the center. There's unusual unity when he is the one that we have our eyes fixed on. When we remember his love, his sacrifice, what he has done for us. When you get your eyes onto Jesus on who he is and and what he has done, unity, it's not easy, but it's very possible. 
this group that gathered in the upper room here with Jesus had unusual unity. But there were others in the room as well. And, and this is significant. In verse 15, it mentions that the, the group that gathered were 120, that there was at least 120 people that gathered. And, and, and this is kind of an interesting statement. This is a significant statement when, when you read this in light of Scripture and, and, and that. And you see, according to Jewish law, a minimum, minimum of 120 people was required to establish a new community with its own council. So in order for this group to be recognized by the Jewish leaders, by the authority, you needed to have 120 people. And Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, goes out of his way to, to put this in there, that there was 120 people there, meaning that this was a authentic, this was a group that was, in, in a sense, desiring to do things under the authority of the laws of the land. And that is really important. This just wasn't some renegade group that was just going to go and do their own thing and, and be defiant to, to the Jewish laws. But instead, what they were doing is they desire, desired to be a part that they were not above the law, but they would submit and they would follow the law. Now, of course, the only time that they would go against it is when the laws were against what God's word has said. But, but in these areas, they desired to follow God's word. Do I always like authority in my life? We don't want people to tell us what to do, do we? I mean, and it starts at a very young age. We kind of get selfish and we kind of, you know, um, what's the first word that, that most kids seem to learn? After maybe mom, but maybe even before mom, it's no you know, they, they learn that. Why? They probably hear it from us constantly um, saying it to one another. But we want our own thing. I want to drive my own speed on the highway. I want to drive my own speed through school zones. And, and however, if you do see me ever speeding to church or away from church, like later on to the airport, and, and you see me speeding and breaking the law, and you think, Melvin's going to get caught. Don't worry. I'm not, I, they can't give me a ticket. Um, because... A former police officer did show this to me. It is in the criminal code in Canada. Still, they haven't taken it out. But you cannot give a member of the clergy a speeding ticket or any sort of a traffic citation if he's on his way to or from performing a religious ceremony. So that means I can drive however I want according to the laws of the land. I love it. I love this country, you know. And uh, so it is in there apparently. And uh, so if you do see me speeding, just be careful if you want to keep up to me. You might get caught, but supposedly they're not supposed to give me a ticket although I'm sure there's some police officer who would love to challenge that. So I just won't make his life difficult, nor mine, in that way. But I just thought you might be interested to know that. But this group came under the authority, and I believe so strongly that the church also needs to come under authority, and that we need to be under authority as believers, as a church, but things like constitutions and charity numbers and proper financial accounting and insurance policies and procedure man manuals, totally agree with that sort of thing. Do I like it? Absolutely not. If you want to give me an aneurysm, just make me read through some of those kind of things. I mean, it will drive me crazy and I'll get quite easily distracted on, on other things. I mean, that just isn't something I like to do, but do I like it? You better believe it because it's so important. We desire as believers and as Harvest Bible Chapel here in Kelowna, to be above reproach, to do things decently and in order. And you know what? There's such a blessing when this happens. 
Two years ago, when people started to meet together and pray and kind of say, okay, God, what are you doing? What might you be calling us to do here in the city? It became a very core conviction for Charlotte and I, for my wife and I, and, and for others that, that were part of this, that it would be absolutely vital for us to be under the authority of a larger body. We just can't, couldn't be some rem, renegade kind of group just wanting to do whatever we wanted to do, even in the name of Christ. And it was a solid conviction that we needed to be under spiritual authority. That if we were going to have a voice for God and be uh, viewed upon as a place where some spiritual teaching and there's spiritual authority happening here, we need to be under authority. We need to be accountable. And we have been so blessed by Harvest Bible Fellowship and for the way that they have taken us and, and how we fit under their umbrella of authority. Is it always easy? Never is being under authority. Especially a year and a half ago or so when they made the decision and they said, yes, we would love to plant a Harvest Bible Chapel here in Kelowna, Meldon. We would love for you to be um, the pastor of that. We, we love the core group and what God is building here. However, Meldon, you need to go to Chicago for four months. Ooh, that was a tough pill for me to swallow. And I kind of thought, why me? I mean, I've been in ministry for all these years. And I mean, sure, church plan is a little bit different. But do I really have to leave my wife and my kids for four months? And, and, and you know what, leave? And I mean, come on, can't we just get this thing going? And they're like, no, this is a non-negotiable. And very early on, I, I learned the lesson. And it was, Meldon, if there's going to be spiritual authority that you're going to be a part of, you need to be under spiritual authority. And you know what? God blesses those kind of decisions. The time in Chicago, yeah, it was difficult, and yet Charlotte and the kids came down there twice. I was able to come home twice during that time. The longest stretch we were apart was, I think, three and a half weeks. And the richness and what God was able to do in my own life, but also, too, the blessing that Harvest has become um, to us as, as a, even now as a church and the support group. You know when that video, that video was played at Harvest Oakville this past weekend as well as some of the other plants. And I got a text message late last night. They showed it in their Saturday night service and there was such joy and excitement because they are a part of helping to plant Harvest Bible Chapel Cologne. They're praying for us. They're supporting and, 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 and encouraging us. And, and, and there's a blessing in being under authority. So don't always be knocking authority. Because God has placed authority there. And this early church group desired to be an authentic group that were following kind of the, the Jewish laws and, and the customs that were going on. So, so that sort of thing is important. So they gathered in unity. They also gathered under authority. But they did something else while they waited. They just didn't sit around in, in this unity. What else were they a part of? Well, they prayed. Second thing we, we see that they did is this group in verse 14 they prayed, and it says, all of, all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Remember that word devoted that we looked at a, a number of weeks ago? That word devoted means they devoured prayer. I mean, it just wasn't just a little part of, of what they did. They made it a serious, a big part of their day. They devoted, and, and it, all in all, they didn't know how long they were going to be doing this for. It went on for 10 days. They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer wasn't their last resort. It was their default position. 
And this is so incredible because you think about it, about 40-some days before this, Jesus is, is coming to them at an hour that is so critical in his own life and so difficult. And, and he comes to his disciples, and they keep falling asleep. And he says to them, can't you guys, I mean, just even pray with me for one hour without fa- falling asleep for crying out loud? What's your problem? And now we see 40-some days later, these guys are all over prayer. They were learning these lessons that, that, that prayer was so essential. They were devouring prayer. And, and there was such a shift because they came to realize that without prayer, they were done. And prayer is not the last resort. It is something that must precede the work of God. And these 10 days of prayer were not 10 days well wasted, but 10 days well invested. They prayed, they waited, because you know what? The road ahead would demand it. And here in chapter 1 in the book of Acts, we see that they devoted themselves to prayer. And this became a key ingredient, something you see throughout the entire book. Just listen to this in Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 16, 20, 27, and 28. We see references to prayer. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. When they were joyful and thankful, they prayed. When they were in trouble, when they didn't know what to do, when they were coming to make major decisions, they prayed, prayed, prayed all throughout. They prayed for the lost, and they saw the lost people saved. You know what? Charles Spurgeon was considered one of the greatest preachers after the Apostle Paul. That's quite a, quite a title to, to have put, behind, um, put in, in front of him, if you want to say it. One of the greatest preachers, authors... He was a mighty man in the pulpit. Would have been incredible to hear this man preach. Big, loud, booming voice. But wow, did he ever struggle. He had serious physical ailments. He suffered from discouragement and even depression at times. He had a wife who was sick, oftentimes bedridden. He had a very difficult time. And yet he was used as a mighty man of God. And he discovered early on in his life, in his ministry, that prayer was so important. It was essential for him personally, as well as for the church that he was a part of. And, and, and as the church was growing and they had a large facility in, in England, there was some tours that some people would come and, and wanted to see the church. And even one day, he was leading some people. He was showing them around to the church and showing them just the beauty of the architecture and the structure that was there. And then he says, hey, do you want to see the furnace room? I'm like, okay, I'm sure a big facility like this must have a big furnace room. And it thought it was a little kind of a strange kind of thing for, for him to want to show them as part of the church tour. But he takes them down to the basement. He opens up the room. And there they were expecting to find a coal-fire furnace. But instead, what do they find? A group of people who were praying. And he says, this is the furnace of the church. This is where it happens. And here at Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna, we see in our third pillar, believing firmly in the power of prayer. Folks, that isn't just something that we put on a pillar and say, oh, isn't that nice? And it kind of fills up the back of the stage nicely. This is something we're serious about. And this past Wednesday night, we had um, our first ever monthly church-wide prayer night. And we had it over at, uh, at the Christian Reformed Church. Had a great time in prayer. We had a time of worship and prayer. And... Uh, and as I told the group after that, we had 20-some people there. I said, um, I can't wait until we fill this room with people praying on a monthly basis that we get after prayer. Sunday mornings at 845, we have something we call it stop, drop, and pray. Stop whatever you do. Drop whatever's in your hands. And let's get together in, in the lobby and let's get after it in prayer. And you're, anyone is invited to come and be a part of that. Because without prayer, we're done. 
And I love hearing about Harvest Kids. They, um, their leaders then took some time together in prayer. The worship band, they're in prayer. The setup crew, as they're unloading, just as they get ready to start unloading things, they stop and they drop and they pray. And, and after the service, just so you know, there, there's prayer that can happen in here, in the lobby area. It was a uh, privilege to be able to, to pray with some dear folks. Um, he's going in and having some surgery this week, and there's some concern, and it was great right before the service that we could stop what we were doing, and we could pray, and we could bring our need to God. Folks, we can do that anytime, place. And my dream and my desire is to see our lobby after the service, before the service, at times where all of a sudden you see people talking, and next thing you know, they're huddled together and they're praying together. Not just talking about the weather, different things, but let's get after things. Let, let's pray for and with one another. Prayer is a significant thing that will happen once we get our small groups going. Not just a little check mark to the evening, oh God, bless our time, but let's get after it in prayer. But maybe you're saying, but I stink at prayer. I mean, there's so many people who are so good at prayer and I'm not so good at it. Hey, hey, can we learn together? And challenge one another together in this and and get on this so that prayer can be something that becomes a growing part of our lives, of our church. So here we see the disciples as they were waiting. They gathered in unity. They gathered under authority. We see that they prayed. And, uh, And the next thing that we see that they did is they did some preparations. They prepared in verses 15 to 20. And the first thing that they prepared was their hearts. They needed to get their hearts in the right preparation mode. And, and this is a crazy passage. I mean, you, you read through this, and, and, and the first number of times as I was reading through this, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what message do you have for us? And, and throughout the course of this week, I'm like, Lord, what message do you have for us? Because next week it starts to get pretty exciting in Acts chapter 2. But this last part of chapter 1, I mean, what's in there? I mean, there's some kind of interesting stuff. I mean, some of it's... Uh, you know, kind of gory, and it kind of is a, is a painful reminder of some things that had happened. But in the last part of this message, we're going to really focus in, in on two individuals that are highlighted here in this passage. And so as they were gathering, and they were praying, and as they were in unity, they, they were also getting prepared. And, and I'm sure there was some laughter in the room, and, and some excitement as... as Jesus had given them the great commission and he told them, and just wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endue you with power and, and you're going to be my witnesses. And so there's some excitement and like, let's ready, let's get going. But no doubt there was also some sadness and, and some feelings of loss and some grieving that was also going on and, and perhaps even some confusion. And so let's, let's see here in verse 15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. I remember as a teenager reading that and thinking, well, if I have a Bible memory verse that I need to memorize, that'd be a cool verse to memorize, you know. And I've actually heard of some people who sign their name, you know, on email or, you know, like some, um, you know, like an author. And at times I've heard people, uh, they, they, they put Acts 118 as kind of like one of those, you know, life verses just to see if anyone actually looks it up. And, 
I mean, that's kind of a disgusting verse in the Bible. Now, his, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Verse 19. And, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Ekeledama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. And so Peter stands up here in this room and he kind of addresses the elephant that, that's in there, that kind of subject that really no one was very excited to talk about and that was Judas. Judas, Judas, Judas. And I'm sure there was some emotion in his voice when he was talking about this. He's like, man, he was one of us. He was with us. He shared in the ministry. I mean, shared in some good times. And I mean, he was with us for three years. And, and he sold Jesus out. And now he's dead. And, and, and it's just ugly. And, and, and I'm sure, he, I mean, they were all trying to process this. And, and he goes into these gory details of how tragically his life ended. How, how Judas took those 30 pieces of silver that, that was given to him to betray Jesus. And, and he gave it back. And... Well, that was blood money, and so there's no way they could put that back into the treasury and in the synagogue and, or the temple. And so they, they bought a field with, with, with that money, and it was there in that field that Judas took his life. And we don't know if the tree branch broke or if his body just lay there long enough for the decomposition to take place for this gory scene to be described. Judas. Now, some people just think he got the, the raw end of the deal. I mean, someone had to betray Jesus. I mean, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. He was just simply fulfilling what God's word said. And, and it's true that Judas' betrayal was, in fact, crucial to the plan of salvation. But Judas was not forced to betray Christ. It was his own decision. And the story of Judas did not have to end in the way that it ended. It could have ended in an incredible story of redemption. Because forgiveness in God's grace was awaiting him. But the sad story of Judas was not the result of just a bad decision or a lapse in judgment or a difficult season. And just kind of, oh, I had a very bad day, so I decided to do this. It was the pattern of his life. And what this shows to us as you look at the scope of his life and what the scriptures write about him is that Judas was never truly saved in the first place. Judas, or Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, there are some amongst you, and he's talking about his disciples, who really do not believe. Judas had spent time with Jesus, was a witness of all that Jesus did, participated in the ministry. He was with Christ, but he himself was not in Christ himself personally. He was close to people who were in Christ, but it didn't mean that he was. He resembled, he looked very much like a legitimate, authentic disciple, but he wasn't. And his lifestyle portrayed that. As the Gospels, as you read it, you see that materialism, greed, the desire for power, and in the end, betrayal, and a tragic death. That was his testimony. Judas was never in Christ. In fact, it even says he was a thief. He was stealing from the treasury of the disciples, even. Someone who's in, in Christ who is a true disciple isn't going to be stealing in that way. And sadly, even today, it's, it's possible to be around church, around other Christians, 
to grow up in a Christian family, to be in a youth group, to go to Bible school, to teach Sunday school, to be an elder pastor, to be on stage leading worship, to go to summer camps, uh, um, to say amen to the pastor's sermons and, and to pray bold prayers. And it's possible to be doing all those things and not truly be in Christ. To be a Christian on Sundays and then con- conduct yourself totally different the rest of the week is just a miss. It doesn't work. And in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus was quoting Isaiah when he says, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're going through the motions, but their hearts aren't there. And that verse described Judas exactly. And here's the key, though. Romans 10.9. I encourage you to write down that reference. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the confession of the lips, but then it's also the belief in your heart. You see, our lips can say all kinds of things, but where is our heart? And the heart gets revealed oftentimes over time. But when your heart truly changes... Everything changes. Just think back. For some of you, it might be a long time. Some of you, maybe you're not quite there yet. But think back when you finally, for the final time, you fell in love with that right person. I mean, and you just knew it. It was just different than anything else. And I mean, the... I mean, just the grass looked greener, or if you're from the prairies like I was, the snow looked whiter, and those early mornings weren't as cold or as miserable. And, you know, it's just that, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. And, I mean, life is good. I mean, just, you know, because your heart has been captured, it has been changed, and, and, and you're just so excited about this love that, that you have in your life. And, 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 and things that, you know what, you used to do, you're willing to give them up because, you know what, you just, The same thing happens that when the gospel captures our heart, there's a change. And there's a transformation and, and our desires change. And, and we want to walk away from, from the sin that's around us. And, and there's a desire to want to re- be in God's word and to pray. And you might say, but I struggle. And yeah, welcome to the club. But that desire is there and it's growing. And, and, and when your heart is, is truly has been changed... There's changes that start happening. If if the gospel has truly captured your heart, it's going to show little by little. That's a process of of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. There are times, yeah, it's true that genuine believers wander and walk away and drift from the Lord. And we leave our first love and, and, and that's where we need to come back and we need to to repent and return to him i mean we are singing that this morning prone to wander lord i feel it prone to lead the god i love but what does he what's the next line of that take my heart lord take and seal it lord do that work in my heart not just the work just just not give me the right lip lip service to be able to say the right things take my heart lord and change it and transform it Listen to the words, I mean, and, and this, if you're just thinking this is, I'm kind of freewheeling here, I mean, I'm not. But, but it was about six, seven years ago, while we were pastoring in, in Alberta, it hit me in such a powerful, in, in such a life, personally, ministry, altering 
kind of way, it started to this realization and the wonder of seeing and, and just being so concerned about how many people can be in church on a Sunday morning, but never truly in Christ. I mean, they prayed the prayer, they were baptized, they gave a good testimony, they served, and, 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 and yet, and, and part of this confusion happened because I saw people walk away in, in bitterness and, and unforgiveness and, 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 and just, you know, resentment in their heart and thinking, how does this measure with the gospel? How, how can this happen? And, and it's all about our hearts being transformed and, and, and listen to these words of Jesus, because this was a concern for Jesus. In, in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 22, he says, On that day, many will say. And, and there's a concern there. You may want to underline your Bibles, the word many. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't I have the right words come out of my mouth? And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. It's about our hearts being changed and transformed in the gospel. That's why Paul, the apostle, he said in Philippians 2.12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. We're not to be afraid, but, but that we, we take and say, okay, Lord, how's my heart? We, you know, we'll, we'll do that physically as, as we get older. We, we, we get the doctors, they check our heart, they check our, our blood pressure, our cholesterol, because... If you're having problems with your heart, there's serious problems there. And so we, we get that analyzed. We get that taken care of on a regular basis. How much we need to continue to keep analyzing and checking our own hearts. That's why Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you, you fail to meet the test? So how do you know? How do you know if you are in Christ, if you're saved? I love Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You just know. Remember, my brother, uh, my youngest brother was, he kind of had a number of interesting relationships in his college years and, and young, young adult and middle adult years. And, and as he was looking for the right one, and he kept saying, Melden, how do you know when you find the right one? And, and I said, believe you me, you just know. It, it, it's just, it, it just, you just know it's something in your heart. And, and finally, when the right one came along for him, he said, Melden, now I know what you mean, that you just know. And in the same way as, as a child of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're, when we're in Christ... Oh, the spirit, it's, it testifies. It bears witness with our spirit. There's, there's a peace and a calmness, even though life can be crazy. And, and there's a desire for holiness that, that we don't have in, in and of ourselves. And, and over time, there's fruit. There's change. There's growth as we pursue holiness and, and, and Christ-like living. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to, because our hearts are being changed and transformed. see, the story of Judas is a wake-up call, I believe, for many. But also an incredible reminder that there is grace and there is forgiveness that is available to all, no matter what. If Judas would have confessed and repented after his 
betrayal of Jesus. Even after the crucifixion, we don't know the time frame exactly when Judas took his life. But if he would have confessed, if he would have gotten on his knees and said, I'm sorry, he would have been forgiven and and grace would have been imparted to him. It wasn't too late for him. It's never too late. As long as God's spirit is, is at work in our lives and we're allowing him to do that. The other person that we focus on here in this passage is, is Peter. Peter's the one who stands up and, and, and brings up this difficult subject of Judas. And think about Peter's life. Think about where he had been 40-some days earlier. That awful night that Jesus was arrested. Just, just prior to that, he's, he's, he's there with Jesus and he's saying like, I'm here with you, man. I'm going to stand with you as they're, as they're having that last supper together. They're, you know, like, you know what? I, I'll never deny you. I will be with you to the end. And he even showed that. I mean, when, when those soldiers came to arrest uh, Jesus, I mean, he pulls out the sword and he chops off the ear of that soldier. And, you know, and Jesus is like, oh, Peter, for crying out loud and picks up the ear and sit back on the guy there, you know, and then, then they arrest him. And, and, you know, I mean, Peter was just, I mean, he's in there wanting to do it. And then in no time, what did he do? Not once, not twice, but three times and on a third time, rather emphatically he says, I don't know the man. I don't know who you're, I have no, no knowledge of who this guy is. I mean, Peter, I mean, he messed up in a major, major, major way. When the cross Jesus was on the cross and he was dying. We have no idea where he was. He was afraid. He was ashamed. Who knows? But after the resurrection in John chapter 21, there he is on the beach. And Jesus and him have that little talk. Read that passage this week and be encouraged. Read that passage and just see how our Lord restores There's hope for all. There's hope for Judas. Look at the restoration that came to Peter's life because he had that talk with Jesus. He was forgiven. He was restored. Our God is the God of second chances. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And God used Peter in a mighty way. God in his mercy brings us as he brought Peter to the point of brokenness. And when we are utterly weak and bankrupt in ourselves. And when we are sick and tired of faking it. And doing everything in our own power and our own strength. And when we're completely helpless. That is when we are ripe. For God's spirit to get hold of us. This was the point that the disciples were coming to while they waited. Next week we'll see how the Holy Spirit came upon these once weak individuals. How's your heart today? Have you confessed with your lips, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Perhaps you've been drifting or wandering away from the Lord and Maybe you need to have that little talk with Jesus. Cologne is a great place. You can even have it out on the beach this afternoon. Go and have that talk with Jesus. You can do it at the end of this service. 
So as they were waiting and as they were preparing and examining their hearts, they were also getting the team prepared. And to finish this, this chapter off, in verse 21 we see, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all of this time, and, and this is the criteria they come up with choosing um, Judas's replacement. And he says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all of this time that the Lord Jesus went in and, and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must, come, must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, Matthias. I don't know why they just didn't call him Justice, or I guess Matthias. And they prayed. They took these two names, and they prayed. And they said, you, Lord... You know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for him, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So what's the criteria? He needed to be with us from the start, right from John the Baptist, right to the resurrection. He needed to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, um, and, and you see, it wasn't just 12 disciples that followed Jesus. There were many others that also followed along just a little further at a distance. They just weren't in that, that group of 12. And so they brought these two names forward, Justice and Matthias, and, and they prayed. And they cast lots. This is kind of an interesting way to make a decision. But you would see this happen from time to time in the Old Testament. You'd see it happen in the Bible. This was a method that was used to allow the Lord to make his choice. So you think, okay, so do we get out the dice now and roll the dice to to make decisions today? Is this a criteria that we should follow as well? Well, you need to look at Scripture and see that that was never, after this, it never happened again. Because, why? Because the Holy Spirit would come. And the Holy Spirit leads and guides us to truth and and to making decisions. And and, and there's a process of, of of, of knowing and reading God's word and, and spending time in prayer. And so, so we don't see this, this process needing to be necessary now because of the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting that this is the first and the last time that we ever hear of the name Matthias. Matthias voted in, or I mean he not voted in, but was brought in as the 12th disciple. In fact, out of the 12 disciples that were listed here now, we only hear of Peter, John, and James ever again in the New Testament. In fact, James, in, in, in Acts chapter 12, was beheaded. That's what we find out about him. But these 12 individuals were involved in turning this world upside down. The book of, book of Acts only gives us an account of the gospel spreading north. And that was basically, it was Paul, it was Peter. They were kind of the, the, the main players, if you want to call it, that, that are documented in the book of Acts. But we know from historical tradition that the gospel spread south to North Africa. It spread east to India. That God used these disciples to take the gospel out. That he used every one of them. And from secular history and tradition, we see that each one of these men went out and were involved in gospel ministry. Although they were never mentioned again. They didn't get mentioned, they didn't get recognized, but the Lord knows the work that they did. And you know what, I think 
When I think of that passage, I think very much of the church. I think of Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna in that. You'll see me up front. You'll see those on stage here leading us in worship, and you see kind of the, the upfront kind of things, but you don't see oftentimes in churches the crew of people that make all of this possible. Those who are serving faithfully right now with Harvest Kids, who, who would love to be in here, would love to be sitting and, and participating in the worship, but they're, they're serving the Lord. Do they get much recognition or, or um, even oftentimes thanks? The Lord knows the work that they're doing. And at times we can recognize and we can thank them. In one great way, actually, if you have children and harvest kids and something we'd love to just instill early is that as soon as the service is over to, to go and get your kids right away so that the workers can come into the lobby and enjoy some coffee and refreshments together because we all want to be able to visit there. But because of policy and procedure and us being under authority, we want to have things done properly that... Parents have to go and get their own children. They just can't be turned loose because who knows where they'll find. I mean, it could be interesting. And, um, and so just, uh, just encourage you, parents, grandparents, just to get the kids as soon as possible after the service and, uh, and then join us for a time together. But, but you see people, I mean, people were here at 7 o'clock this morning, actually 6.30 this morning, getting this, this beautiful carpet laid out for us and, and um, being a part of this. There will be those who will stay late into uh, the morning, into the early afternoon to, to, to clean things up. I mean, there are those who, n- not everyone taking a look because this will really embarrass them, but the people over there, kind of the sound and the video and the light kind of thing, they're basically behind-the-scenes people you don't know. The only time you know them is when they mess up, right? And then you're like, well, who's doing that or what's going on, you know? And, 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 and I'm just thankful that we have servants who are willing to do this. And this is the way the body grows and functions. This is the way the gospel goes out, just like in the book of Acts. You see these apostles who, who, who go out, and yeah, you have three, three that get mentioned and two kind of flamboyant ones, but other than that, the rest are just faithfully doing their work, but they turn the world upside down. And so I encourage you to, to, to lock in, to serve, to, to be a part of what God is doing. Whether or not it's up front and, and some of you say, I'd never want to be up there. Well, that's good because you'll never want to see, have me singing. You probably heard that today as I tried to fake a little singing there for you. And, uh, you know, but God, God uses in our areas of giftedness, but he, more he just uses in our areas of servantness where we're ready to serve and say, okay, God, I'm ready to do whatever you want. This is how the gospel spreads. And we're going to see in the coming weeks how the gospel continued to spread as the Holy Spirit comes. Bottom line, today though, reminder for you, your past is not a hurdle to your future. Our God is in the business of saving lost souls, healing the brokenhearted, restoring the fallen, the weak, hurting, and he is giving us an incredible future. As you wait, maybe you're waiting for things to change in your life. Maybe you're waiting for that lost one to come home. As you're waiting, I pray that you would gather. You would gather with others. That we would gather together on a regular basis and, and worship the Lord and pray together and, and, uh, and just to know that he desires to use us in a mighty way, in our homes, in our city, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much that um, 
your, your word speaks to us loud and clear. And we see the tragedy of a, of a heart that, instead of being softened by the gospel, was hardened by the gospel. And, and we hear that statement that the same sun that melts the snow can harden the clay. And Lord, I pray that hard hearts here today, if there are some, Lord, that they would be softened. And we would have hearts that are, are ready and willing to be molded and to sh- be shaped by you. And may we wait upon you and, and, and listen to what your spirit is even saying to us about areas of sin or areas that we need to make right or things we aren't doing that we should be doing or whatever that might be. Father, you know that. And, and may your spirit do that work. Lord, we, we just thank you for the incredible grace that is available to us in Jesus Christ. May we not take it lightly. But may we be so captured by the gospel message of what Christ has done. That is the motivation for doing what we do. And Father, we just thank you for what you are doing and what you will continue to keep doing as we desire to stay humble, broken servants of yours. Because then we are prime for your spirit to do the work in and through us in incredible ways. We just thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.